Welcome to the Right Now Workshop Podcast. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is Episode 8, an interview with Marcy Weidemuller on setting. Just a quick reminder, my time management class is now open for signups, so you can go check out all the details on rightnowworkshop.com, and that's W-R-I-T-E, rightnowworkshop.com. Plus, on January 5th, 2018, I am the guest on Mark Dawson's Self-Publishing Formula podcast. Very exciting. Fun talk with James Blatch, giving all kinds of time management tips that I love to share in my class. So there is also a downloadable PDF with a lot of that written down so that you can have it posted nearby. Keep in mind uh, different ideas that you can use for managing your own time and projects. And just a little quick note, there is a coupon code on that PDF that you can use to sign up for my class and get a discount. So go check out Mark Dawson's Self-Publishing Formula podcast. It's episode number 100. And uh, check out the PDF that is downloadable in the show notes section. That's it for the announcements today. So let's get on with the interview. All right. And today's guest is Marcy Weidemuller, who is the author of Eight Strategies for Writing Innovative Settings. She is the sought-after fiction book editor and has 25 years experience in writing, mentoring, and teaching both fiction and nonfiction. And today, Marcy's going to talk to us about crafting a great setting in your novel. Welcome, Marcy. Hi, Kitty. and Thank you very much for inviting me to join you today. I love to talk about settings. Yay. So. Great. So well, we're ready to learn. We definitely are um, looking for any kinds of tips and stuff that you can give us to help our settings get better. I know mine are sometimes a little drab because it's in my head and I don't get it out on paper. So what can you tell us about settings today? Well, one of the things I found is that I started off my writing in um, mythic fantasy, where um, setting is really obviously important, right? When you're doing dystopia or um, sci-fi or anything like that, settings literally are a character in the whole novel and the whole um, sequences. And mysteries can become, especially if you've got the old fashioned mysteries, you know, with the dark house looming over the <laughs> sea or something like that. So the setting becomes obvious in those kind of cases. But as I was learning to write and looking at my reading and needing to come up um, also with some thesis things when I was in school, um, graduate school, I realized that <clears throat> silent settings can be so impactful that setting really isn't just important in the genres that it's considered important, but that setting is important in every area, even if it's silent, sometimes especially if it's silent. Because when it's silent, it basically sets um, a backdrop that either um, fights the character or upholds the character. So it's kind of like an, um, a mirror or a shadow of the character and the tone and the atmosphere of any novel, any genre, no matter whether it's humorous or serious or, um, like I say, multi-layered or silent, it has that capacity. And That's really I, interesting because when I uh, think of silent settings, my first thought is haunted house, but then I'm mm -hmm. thinking, oh, wait a minute. I guess it could also be sitting by the fire at Christmas drinking eggnog. That's also kind of a silent setting. 
Exactly, because again, with any, um, any type of writing, what we really want to do is we want to connect with our reader. And we want or connect, yeah, we connect with our reader, we want to connect with ourselves. So it's a heart connection. So when setting has that capacity to bring up a memory, like Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, we're looking, you know, at, at you know, all the foods and things like that, then that automatically becomes either a good memory or it becomes a difficult memory, or right. it, it can be a frightening memory. Um, so for instance, um, I'm not going to really go into mystery today, but one of the things that came up was like, so say this woman all of a sudden has this person who is bringing her red roses. And our instant re reaction is that, well, red roses isn't good, right? The guy obviously likes her. He wants to, you know, a little bit of romance. But for her, her childhood memory is looking at her mother who has just been murdered, surrounded by broken red roses. Okay. I love it. So basically, now both the character, the main character, and the reader are wondering, is this guy really on the up and up? He just, you know, doesn't, obviously doesn't know her background, and he thinks he's being, you know, um, an aspect of love or interest and things like that. Or is he somebody from her past that has this secret you know, and he's, he's going to start stalking her or something like that. So, dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. yeah. So <laughs> red roses, you know, it's just a very simple thing. It's a silent thing, but depending on what you're planning on doing with the story, it can become really important. Wow. Um, that's very cool. Yeah. I, I've got one of, one of the things that I like to think about is um, an area called hungry territory. And it's basically looking at your surroundings and what is in the surroundings that's silent that could be deadly or um, compromise the situation. I knew a, um, <clears throat> a camper a counselor who had, uh, was highly allergic to bees and I think something else. And this was like years and years and years ago before the epidephrine things and oh. stuff like that. And, um, but she loved the outdoors and she wasn't going to, you know, um, stop her life. So she had a vial that she used to have to wear around her neck so that if she was out on the lake or if there was something and she was too far from anybody to help her, that she had to have this. And I couldn't help but think about it. I said, what if somebody switched out her vial? What if somebody <gasps> emptied her vial? You know, that they wanted to kill her or something like that. Yeah. I, so um, that I was, love it. <laughs> you know. Another one is, um, I heard of a story of somebody who used celery to kill somebody because they were uh, of their sodium. Who would have ever thought that celery or something like that um, could become a problem? It puts a whole new spin on the word organic a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. So, um, Anyway, those are just a few examples. Uh, another thing that would be um, in the, the territory or the setting around the situation, how that could complicate things. What about times of drought? Um, right. That's, you know, there's, there's going to be a whole different relationship um, if the person is in, a, is in a drought time or a non-drought time because drought obviously brings out, you know, animals and... Um, possibly hidden diseases and things like that, you know, that could cause problems. Yeah. 
And you know, um, I was just thinking about that. There's a, there's, I, I hope we're coming out of it now, but Southern California has been in a drought for over 20 years, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, you know that I write uh, like romantic comedies and stuff like that. I was just thinking, imagine if your mother-in-law from you know, Minnesota or someplace nice and green comes to visit you and you've got this brown lawn and scraggly <laughs> flowers and she's judging you and, and you just want to say, but you don't understand. It's because we're not allowed to use the water. Uh, yeah. You know that yeah. she won't understand it. Like that's sort of using drought as part of the setting. It, well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's not the setting, is it? It is because it's going to have an effect on the people who are living through it and the people who come and the way that they see it. So there's perspective ends up getting in there. And I know exactly what you mean. We used to, when I remember one year of drought where, you know, um, nobody was allowed to um, unplug the bathtub if we had the bath because then I had to go get the buckets, scoop up the bath water so that we could water the trees. We let the grass and everything else go, but we had some trees that we were trying to save. And so that was, so we saved the trees by the bath water. (laughs) Wow. So, um, you know, that, that, and that is, that will tie into ecological, um, that will tie into um, boundaries. If you have some neighbors, particularly, who are not being, you know, um, helpful or something like that, um, arguments can flare, you know, relationships can deteriorate, all because of a bucket of water. But, right. I mean, you just never know where things are going. And, um, and again, perspective. So tone, atmosphere, character reaction, whether it's a positive or a negative from here, there, you know, it all has that kind of um, effect. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. I haven't thought of it this way. I'm glad you brought up the, the drought, though, because basically that also falls into the historical timeline of, of what's going on. <clears throat> and history <clears throat> definitely will have an effect on all kinds of things. Um, for instance, there's, there's the idea of holy ground, um, which doesn't exactly mean drought, but it can in that aspect of territorial kind of thing, right? And Another place where uh, the setting becomes silent here is that we consider like cemeteries to be holy ground, right? Right. Or, um, or particular landmarks could be considered holy ground that people will fight over and stuff like that. But there's other aspects too, like a wildlife sanctuary may be considered holy ground to some people. Right. If we don't kind of, if we know the background or if we know our character, then we'll know how to weave all of these potential um, conflict settings and situations in whether it's um, literal with an opponent or whether it's emotional. And if it's the emotional and the silent and the hidden, then those are the things where the character is putting on one face publicly, but the internal struggle is kind of going on inside, right? And it makes right. that whole difference. So that's that's kind of where I've, um, one aspect of where I, I see it affecting every single genre. You just have to look at where you are and decide how is this, how is this going to work. Um, it's a journey. Think of it as a setting as being part of the um, main character's journey. Huh. One, of, one of my very favorite um, exercises that I like to give all of my students and I use for myself sometimes too 
is <clears throat> from the perspective atmosphere tone kind of thing is basically just take a walk take a walk down your street like take out your paper and start writing and for five minutes just take a walk um, walk to school walk to the grocery store whatever age you're you know go back and just take a walk and just write down everything you think and then go back and start filling in well what color was the swing or what kind of swing was it was it a metal swing was it a wood swing swing on the porch what color kind of thing and it gives it layers the emotional reaction that your character is having to that particular thing and so then you can have them um, that's what they remember but then they can go back later years later and see it differently or they can see it run down or they can see where it's been droughted yeah. you know oh yeah destroyed. and all any of those layers can can tie in to that um, um, sense of, of how the how it's going where the story's going right right you, you'll pick the um, what is it the idea of having a metaphor um, somebody comes up on the porch and there's a dead a dead plant right and they don't know if the person could do it but at the very end of the story um, when the, the final scene and you notice that there's a little bud coming up out of it you know is that that kind of aspect well I actually think setting has that potential for metaphor and um, symbolism and symbolism and um, theme which I'm very I theme is huge theme and setting to me are two are intertwined it's really uh -huh. hard actually to separate the conversation but ah. that's kind of where I'm seeing setting as being a integral part of theme which is silent or loud depending wow. on depending on the story okay note to self I'm going to have you come back and talk about theme later <laughs> <laughs> Okay, another form of um, silent setting or, um, or layers of setting, I guess, can also come in forms of other kinds of dangers. Um, it can form plot seeds. Um, it, can have, it can undergird shadows. I've kind of touched on that a little bit. Um, it also can tie into myth and to, uh, typology. Oh. Um, for instance, going back to the Red Roses, Mm -hmm. um, there's all kinds of um, things that are attached to the idea of red roses, um, fairy tales, Snow White um, and roses, and um, many other um, myth kind of stories. The color red, the color red actually is very different according to culture. And so if you are using it as positive in your own thinking but you're putting it into a culture where it would be considered negative then the perception of everything is going to be on its end you know whether you're in a like I say a highly dangerous situation or whether it's just socially inept right right <laughs> some people can be you know a little bit clueless you know about how they're stepping on toes and they they think they're doing something magnanimous and the other person is kind of like Get away from me, you know, this has, you know, so right. that's another way of looking at it. So there's kind of, I think, four areas that, that can um, become potentially strong for your setting in this. And that would be like a hidden foil, F-O-I-L, where okay. um, something is hiding behind the scenes um, that you're not expecting. Um, 
you know, you're going down a path and you wake up a rattlesnake kind of thing would be a physical one. Okay. Right. But there can be other hidden foils that will be an emotional one, like I mentioned before with the red roses. So another, another way of looking at it would be, um, so there's a, so got the mythic echo. You've got a hidden foil um, that you can use in your setting. You've also got a duress. You know, um, we, we look again back to um, uh, stories about Hercules, you know, kind of thing, you know, doing the 12 labors or whatever that, that is. I'm blanking on exactly the, the title. <laughs> But so what are the, what is the duress? What is the physical stress? Um, is it because um, you're running a marathon and your legs are really hurting? And so that you're having problems getting your exercise, getting your momentum going and stuff like that. I understand that one. <laughs> um, is it the uh, lights in a room? You're going in for a really heavy duty this person is, it's a, maybe it's an inspirational romance or something like that. And you, you've got to do this well because it's important to the relationship or anything like that. You've got to give this big business um, uh, talk and you walk in and all the lighting in the room is so glaring at you that you have an instant reaction and your migraine starts. Oh. And for anybody who has a migraine or fight battles migraines, they know, I mean, it affects their, their thinking, it affects their vision, it affects their, you know, it, it's, plus it's really painful. Right. But so what do you do in something like that? It, it doesn't look on the outside as it's anything major, but for that particular instance, for that particular situation, the duress is a labor. It is right. a struggle. It's a mountain, you know, that somebody has to climb. And then what about deprivation? There's so many different ways that we can look at a situation of deprivation, whether, um, again, just normal everyday life, um, deprivation of sleep. Um, this is, you know, it can be an ongoing issue, you know, for somebody. It, it could be, um, I was reading a mystery a few months ago, and the person had moved to a new location. And it was slightly humorous, but it actually ended up becoming a, a difficult thread. There was a um, rooster that kept waking her up under her window much earlier. She was a city girl, and she had moved out to, this, um, to the coast. And she was going crazy because this doggone rooster kept waking her up. Well, um, so for her, that was a duress or a deprivation because of deprivation of timing and association and things like that. In, in the end, she, she was planning on um, <clears throat> killing the rooster. <laughs> um, and, but later, the rooster actually helped save her life. So anyway, then she, he became a whole. So by the end of the story, this um, deprivation ended up becoming something good. Uh, Interesting. I, I would never have thought of this rooster and I didn't think of the rooster in the beginning of the story as having any real um, impact other than a little bit of humor. Yeah. And yet it really was uh, an aspect of her setting that ended up becoming continuing on and continuing on to the next book when any reader who had read the first book will be laughing because of the way she's 
kind of feeding the rooster a little bit extra, you know, like you'd feed your <laughs> dog or your cat a little bit of an extra treat. The rooster's getting a little bit extra, you know. That's so creative. So another aspect of the duress or deprivation or dangers and things like that that I haven't mentioned yet, but are also very silent, at least they're silent to the reader and they're silent to the other characters in the book from your main character. And that is what are some of the hidden secrets? Ah, So we're looking at psychological, we're looking at emotional, we're looking at memories um, and how that can affect um, the today. So for instance, supposing your character as a 10 year old got trapped somewhere for a few hours. Um, they were out playing, something fell on them. They panicked basically because they didn't know how to get out and they didn't have the, the skills and things like that. Now your heroine is an adult. She's well aware of it. She dealt with it. You know, it's not a big issue. At least she doesn't think it's a big issue until something happens to her and all of a sudden that panic returns. Something okay. triggered and the panic returns. I have to say, this sounds exactly like the beginning of one of my favorite movies, Batman Begins, where Bruce Wayne falls into a cave as a little boy and all those bats fly out and scare the crap oh, out of him. Really? Okay. Yeah, and then when he's older, that's how it forms who he becomes as Batman. So it's totally exactly like Batman Begins. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to have to take a look at that. I have not seen the Batman. I have not seen that Batman movie. Oh, so. that one's a really good one. <laughs> okay, well, there we go. So... All right, I'm glad to have been, have that affirmed <laughs> kind of thing. So, any any kind of um, family secrets? Um, I was actually taking a run through Netflix recently, looking for some new movies to watch, or what movies I want to see next. And I thought that one of the some of the interesting things I haven't looked at any of them yet, so I have no idea whether they they. Um, do what they promise. But there were so many of them that were talking about secrets. And of course, my I popped up with that because I really think that setting is your hidden secrets, you know, the especially the psychological. So yeah, what what is it there was um and there was a TV show that was on recently and this person is from one country and he's visiting another country and there's all kinds of secrets going on and he finally says throws his hands up and says, does anybody here tell the truth? You know, kind of <laughs> so anything that could be strictly personal, I'm not looking, you know, not looking now at national or things like that. Those are, are more public, but you want to tap into those kind of things for any of your characters, whether you use it or not, just to know when you're building your character, ask them, what's your secret? What happened to you as a child that was positive or negative that could end up having a psychological, emotional reaction down the road? That kind of, that kind of, of thing. And that actually also ties back to um, stories that are um, universal and right. mythic. Um, one of the thing, things I've been working on, a, teaching a workshop to middle graders recently and um, I asked them, I said, what story can you think of that, there, that is so universal that in Europe alone, there's 500 versions of it? 
how can there be 500 versions of a story that's in Europe alone, never mind the rest of the world? And of course, they were looking at me like, what? Well, it turns out to be it's Cinderella. Oh, I was right. I was going to say it, but I didn't want to interrupt your story. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm stunned. I mean, I don't actually know how many there are, um, but overall, but why aren't we tired of Cinderella? Yeah. Because the layers and layers and layers of hidden secrets that can, each of them can be told from a different story. Right. Um, you can, you've got the hidden, and so you can take the main characters in, in that story and you can tell it, you can make the twist on it in any, any way, shape, or form. One of my favorite versions of the Cinderella story is actually a story for small children, and I can't find the title of it. It was a storybook about that um, in, um, in uh, Africa, and the Cinderella story was told around a girl who saved a baby crocodile. Oh. And, and, uh, and the mother of the baby crocodile basically became her fairy godmother. It's it kind of strange. But, yeah. But, um, but it was basically, if you, look, if you took the storyline and just strapped it out, it was a Cinderella story. Right. You know, I was just thinking before we got on the call here that um, I, I went into the movie Frozen thinking, oh, it's a Cinderella story. You know, a girl meets a boy for the first time in her whole life, falls in love with him by dinner, asks permission to marry him. And then, you know, he supposedly sticks by her side and then she meets boy number two and it's the second boy she's ever met in her life. And he's really the good guy. It's just that, you know, she doesn't know it. Only the audience knows it. And in the end, hurts her, I'm totally gonna cry. Her sister, who loves her more than anybody in the world, kisses her, thinking that it's like this kiss goodbye, and I'm so sad that I'm losing you. And that's what brings her back to life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the best movie ever, because you think you know exactly what it's going to be about. And mm -hmm. it turns out to be way better. So I really like that kind of a setting twist. Yeah, it is. It is. And that's, that's the thing. There, it's there. If we would just do a little bit of background find out where can it tie into our theme and how can we twist it a little bit. And so that it's not, um, it's the same story, but it's not the same because it's yeah. being told in a different way. Um, I think of it in terms of um, like parables, you know, the question is asked and everybody's got the answer, but that's not the right answer. Right. And when you look across across the globe in every single culture, all of the basic stories that are told can be told in any culture because they have those kind of roots yeah. that can then, be, um, can then be brought to life according to today's time or the purpose of the story or, again, whether it's contemporary, mystery, sci-fi, dystopia, um, fantasy oh i have another um another example which i thought was awesome when i read it um uh there's a author um, mary destefano oh yeah i'm blanking on her book at the moment so i apologize for that but she did this awesome dystopia thing where she basically used a new orleans um cemetery and it's a real cemetery, so it's real, but then she took that whole twist to it and brought it into her dystopia. And that's the other thing where you can use ordinary real stories, or real settings rather, 
and turn them, again, do that twist. So if somebody ever wanted to go look at that particular cemetery, the cemetery is there, but it's not as dark and, and frightening and, um, <laughs> and hasn't got that thread to it that her book ends up having. Same thing with um, lighthouses or other landmarks. You can take something that is common ground to everybody in the story, but look for that um, hidden secret that makes it a joy to one person and a terror to the other person. Wow. And all it is, it's that, you know, it's that landmark. You know, it's been yeah. around for hundreds of years. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny listening to you. I'm like, oh my gosh, do I even, do I even know when I'm writing how a setting is related? I know, you know, in this way it's related to plot and in that way it's related to theme and, and over here in that way it can be related to character. But I'm like, I wonder if I'm really making good enough use of it because I listening to you talk, I'm like, do I really, do I really understand how much it ties into every single other aspect of story? Well, this is, this is it. Why, why I get excited about setting because um, it, I think again, but it needs to be silent or, or a lot of times it needs to be silent because otherwise you don't want it taking over the story. It's basically almost like a shadow or a mirror to whatever's going on in that particular scene. Wow. So if it's an emotion, it can be an emotional mirror for the character. It could be um, in a mystery. It could be a hint. It could be a red herring hint, or it could be the, the real, a real um, possible um, connection, you know, to the murderer or something like that. Right. Um, and this is why I think we forget when we're doing other than dystopia, sci-fi, and fantasy, that it has that power. We recognize yeah. it as, a, as its own character, and it needs to be its own character in, in those genres, but in the quieter genres, it can still, it can still have an effect. Yeah. So, and, and for all of the things that you said, plot, character, or actual um, action. Yeah. You know, it, can, it can have an wow. effect. Yeah. This is great stuff, Marcy. Oh, thank you. I, I just I fell in love with it, and I just continued to run with it, sort of thing. And now, like you, I have to go back after my rough draft, though, and I have to see where have I overdone it, and where do I need to at least insert a little bit of you know, um, kickstart to it. Yeah, it's not something that I can go in planning. Um, I, I will plan it when I'm planning my basic. Um, storylines and things like that. It's the who, the what, the where, the why, and all that kind of stuff. But the the amplification of it or the um, resonance of it, the atmosphere of it is something that I don't really see until I've got the story down. And then I look for ways that I can plump up the story or strengthen the story if with setting, if it's, if it, if it applies, if it doesn't apply it, it's, then it becomes, um, what's that word? The purple, uh, oh, purple prose, purple prose, and things like that. That that yeah. is just yeah, that just <laughs> on so many levels. You know, yeah. don't want purple prose, but um, and I think that's why a lot of people don't think about setting because there is that warning, which is a very legitimate warning. But sometimes it only needs a word. You know, yeah. the you know the drought, the dry ground, the brown grass. You know, kind of thing. It just that's all it is. It's just a word or two here or there that amplifies 
the circumstances. Yeah. Well, it's it's a good encouragement and reminder that we don't have to think about it in the first draft. It's a second draft sort of addition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Wow, this is great. Now, you only gave us a few of them, but your book's title is Eight Strategies for Writing Innovative Settings. So apparently there's more and we can learn more about them. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully. So I had, I had done setting in um, a workshop that I had done on a, a fantasy novel that I was teaching. Yeah. And I realized I didn't, I, there just wasn't enough time to cover everything. And so then it, I ended up doing the, the eight strategies of finding out all the different other ways you could use it. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, now this is not an ebook, right? This is a print book. It's a workbook with exercises workbook, in it. Exercises. Yes. So basically it's, it's, um, it is a workshop. It's a little mini workshop. It's the, the, the idea of what it is. Some examples of, as I've shared today, of um, how that can be applied. And I, I actually have several authors who were kind enough to um, allow me to use excerpts from their books. So I have examples in there um, from um, Mary DeStefano for Dystopian. I have Sarah Sundan for Historical, Lorraine Snelling, um, other people who have very graciously let me give examples um, of how that comes out. And then it follows with um, exercises general exercises that any writer can use for their own work. You know, like for instance, as I shared before, taking a walk down the, down your street and the actual exercise is a little bit more layered than that, but it's, they're basic exercises that just help us to tie into um, the atmosphere and the tone and the possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things from the beginning of your book that I just love, I know mythic impact is kind of the thing that you teach on, kind of the umbrella under which you mm-hmm. teach on your website workshops. Yeah. And um, you have an acronym in the beginning of the book that I'm going to read because it's so cool. So, um, so an acronym being the first letter of each of these words spells out mythic impact. It's mystery, yearning, truth, hope, imagination, creativity, inspiration, memory, potential, action, courage, and timelessness. And I'm thinking, wow, yeah, I love all those things in stories. (laughs) Not always all of them at the same time, but yeah. Yeah, Maybe not together. (laughs) Be a little bit more purple prose, but yeah. (laughs) Now, uh, we're recording this interview at the end of 2017, and more books in your nonfiction writing series will be coming out in 2018 and 19. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I'm taking um, basically um, all the workshops that I've taught over the years and I'm putting them into workbook uh, form so that um, people can just, you know, follow, follow them as they like. Um, one of the things that I do, first of all, with the workshops, though, is, um, if anybody's interested, is I usually put them up on my blog. Um, you can find me at um, www.marcywidemuller.com. And I have two blogs. I have the Sewing Late Seeds blog, which is devotional. And, but I have the Mythic Impact um, blog, which is the writing prompts. And what I do for these workshops is I actually put them up for free um, wow. for, um, as I go through them so that I can hear readers' um, comments. So if there's questions and things like that, so that when I actually put it together in workbook form, again, I'm hoping that I am answering the questions that people are asking. Oh, and that's then, it, then it goes up into workbook form 
and then it comes out in print. <laughs> oh, excellent. So, yeah. so, that's, right. um, so that's what I'm doing. It's, it's a process um, going back and taking them and starting to put them all together. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure there's a link to your site in the show notes, but uh, for anybody who's listening and wants to write it down, it's M-A-R-C-Y-W-E-Y-D-E-M-U-L-L-E-R.com. Marcy Weidemuller.com, right? Yes, that's right. Excellent. And your books are right now, as of the end of 2017, they're only on Amazon right now? They're only on Amazon right now, yes. Okay, great. Great. Marcy, this has been fabulous. Is there any other last thoughts you want to add or encouragement to the writers out there listening? Well, I would like to thank you for uh, letting me go on about, you know, my passion. (laughs) Um, So I just, um, I, I love to write. Um, I love to talk and share ideas with other writers and watch their work grow. Um, So this is fun for me, you know, just, um, to be able to share all the things that I've learned over the years from mentors and teachers and see them go to work in different forms and things like that and have the opportunity. So thank you. Um, being able to talk about writing ideas and brainstorming and possibilities just charges up my, um, my, my stuff too. So. Excellent. Oh, yay. Well, for anybody who's listening and is interested, Marcy is my editor for my fiction. And now I'm worried that she's going to be like, I already told you about this. Why aren't you putting it in your last draft that you send me? And I'm going to be like, oh, my gosh, you really need to make sure I come up a level now, now that Marcy's had this uh, great talk on the podcast. <laughs> oh, no. if, if there had been any questions along the line, you would have already heard from me on it. So that's true. For you instance, were very honest. Can I, can I share something about you then? For instance, your recent book, be embarrassed? Love <laughs> your love at the fluff and fold. Yeah. Your setting is so in- integral to that whole story. That is a perfect example of taking your genre and having your setting be a silent character in this in the whole book it, it all fits and so many of the interactions that they have just fit so well to the personalities and the community and everything like that so yeah you would have heard you would have heard from me about <laughs> that if, if it hadn't fit but it was it was beautifully done and it was we don't a lot of times writers just do it on instinctively yeah I'm looking at ways that for those of us who sometimes are struggling and I think, how can I, how can I make my setting more a participant in the story than it is? Right. That's where I'm coming from because we all have our strengths and weaknesses and some of us are much better at character and we're weak at setting or vice versa. You know, the settings are awesome. You know, I, I, (laughs) some stuff that I'm going, wow, how much effort, you know, how much research did you do into this kind of thing? Yeah. But something else might be, we, we can't all be awesome at every single aspect of it. So that's kind of where this is coming from. That's for some people it's instinctive. And for some of us, we have to work at a particular area like theme or character or plot. Yeah. So that's where setting comes from all the fun ways you can make. So it's fun. So it doesn't become this horrible ladder you've got to climb it's like no no it's part of it it's integral right right that's awesome well thank you for helping us to find new ways to do it and to do it in a fun way that's awesome well and thank you for letting me share
Sure. Thank you. And maybe we'll have you come back and talk about theme later. (laughs) Yeah. I, that's another one of my loves. So yes, anytime you want. (laughs) Thank you, Katie. Well, thank you, Marcy. Have a great day. You too. Bye.